Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast contains discussions of child abuse, sexual repression and sexual abuse, suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, and spiritual oppression and abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, we will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode, as well as in the show notes for that episode. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. My name is Gabrielle Hawkowen, and I am here with my co-host. Hi, I'm Sadie Carpenter. And if there's a bustle in your hedgerow, don't be alarmed now. We're just talking about <laughs> Satan. <laughs> ah, yeah. Today you like is... my intro this week. <laughs> I did like your intro this week. It, it relates to our, our episode last week. It was great. Uh, today is our second part of our two-part series on Satan, Satanism, Satanic Panic, Satanic Ritual Abuse, and Humanity's Savior, Hercule Satan, the fighting <laughs> champion who defeated the evil creature known as Cell and put the Z fighters to shame. Sure. Sadie has no idea what I'm talking about. I just dropped my phone because I have so much of no idea what you're talking about. Okay, it's it's Dragon Ball Z. There's a character whose name oh, okay. is yeah, whose name is Mister Satan. Oh, that's probably why the fundies thought Dragon Ball Z was satanic. Probably that makes sense. Talking about Satan here, we're not talking about yeah. Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> well, last week we talked about the biblical character of Satan from a Christian perspective, a little bit of the Jewish perspective as well. 
And we tackled the beginning of the satanic panic and tried to give some perspective on how this got started. So if you have not listened to last week's episode, make sure that you go back and do that so that this week's episode makes sense. I definitely do suggest that. This two-parter is written like one giant four-hour episode, but we're not going to release a four-hour episode because we are not Joe Rogan. Sadie. Yes. Have you ever done DMT? No, actually. (laughs) Have you ever had elk meat? Yes, I'm pretty sure I have. (laughs) Okay, I asked you those two questions. We're officially Joe Rogan now. Oh, okay. I see where you were going with that. You know, we can be Joe Rogan as long as I don't have to take horse medicine or release eight-hour podcast episodes because I don't desire to do either one of those things. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think that last week's episode may have been the least that the IFB has ever been mentioned in an episode of the Leaving Eden podcast. This week, we're going to catch you up on how the external crisis of the satanic panic affected the world inside the IFB and talk about how this phenomenon that was more prevalent in the outside world in the 80s, how that affected me in the IFB in the mid 90s. Yeah. So because satanic panic was a really huge thing in America, like culture as a whole, it was important for us to talk about that before we could like specifically go into what it meant if you were IFB. But before we get into that, I just have to say the Leaving Eden podcast is the podcast about Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults. We talk about religion. We talk about fundamentalism um, and the real and present danger that uh, that, you know, cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. And the mission of our show is to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. So if you like our show, if you are a fan of our show, what you can do after you hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you listen to, you can go and you can join our Facebook group, which is going to be facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus, where you can talk with other fans of the show. We're getting close to the 700 member mark of that group. Yeah, it seems like every week we just get more and more and more and more people, which is great because we have excellent discussions. Uh, you can join our subreddit, which is going to be reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. And you can join our Patreon where there are extended and uncensored episodes of the show. You know, last week's uh, Patreon episode, I think, is one of the best that we've ever done. There's a lot of extra stuff on that one. So if you want to like hear us talk about Beatles, if you want to hear us talk about just all sorts of great stuff. It's it's awesome. Yeah, we we used to just put all of our tangents on Patreon, which we still do because we go on an unbelievable number of tangents. <laughs> but we've also kind of started planning like when we're planning out an episode, well, I know that we're going to go on to a rabbit trail about this, so we might as well just go ahead and let ourselves run free and then it's going to go on the Patreon. Yeah, it's just a little extra stuff. Um, Speaking of Patreon, I want to thank our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons. That is Kathleen Moncrief, Jessica Tambo, Tambo Like Rambo, Emery Fairlosser, Wes the Cowboy. Uh, We have Kristen Marie and we have Linda Morgan. So thank you all of you for joining our Faith Promise Missions tier uh, Patreon. And as always, if you want to Dude, the easiest thing to help us out is to evangelize for the show. And oh, gosh. Yeah. You're going to trigger everybody. <laughs> yeah, it's triggering everybody. Uh, 
Yeah, share the show with your family and your friends, uh, trying to get the message out there. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much to all of our patrons who support our show. And a special thank you to our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons. Sadie, would you like to take us to our jumping off point where we're talking about the satanic panic? Yeah, I don't I don't remember where our jumping off point was because we just went on a, the rabbit trail to end all rabbit trails. Literally, get it? If we get bombed, it's a rabbit trail to end all rabbit trails. <laughs> So last week, we introduced the book that is widely blamed for starting the satanic panic, which is called Michelle Remembers. And this book, as we talked about, was mainstream. Lawrence Padzer, the psychiatrist who hypnotized Michelle Smith and got all of this information out of her, was on ABC 2020. That's how mainstream the awareness of this book was. Mm. Michelle Smith and another young woman with a very similar story, Laurel Rose Wilson, uh, she wrote a book called Satan's Underground, which was also really popular. They were on Oprah together. So these were the days before the internet. And I know that this is sort of hard for us to imagine, but if you wanted to watch news on TV, you had four options, basically, which was if it was national news, it would be ABC, NBC, CBS, or PBS. I guess there was your local channels, but they would be mainly focused on local issues. So if you were like one of the major news networks, evening news segment, everybody was going to see it. And everybody was going to be talking about it. If, you know, you were a house where it's like, oh, we watch the news, we stay informed. Yeah. This is what you see. And this was before, you know, fake news. There's a lot of attention on fact checking news or just calling news that you don't like fake. It's not just that conservatives don't trust the news now. It's that fact checking and being correct about what you say on national television has become more of a thing in right-leaning and left-leaning news networks. I fact-check things from online news sources myself because I don't even trust a lot of... Like, I'll I'll hear something on the news and I'll be like, hmm, that sounds like it's got a spin on it. So I'll go look it up for myself. There are a few sources that I really do trust, but I certainly don't trust something just because it's on TV. But at this time in the 80s, you're right. If it was on the news, you kind of just accepted that it was true. Yeah. So I assume that people went in to try and check and see. So I assume that like back in this day, at least people went in to try and actually check and see whether the extremely disturbing and sensational news stories he was telling were true. Right? Yes. Did they? This is on 2020. I I think people assumed that the 2020 staff did the fact checking. Because how would an average citizen fact check on their own whether there was a secret satanic cabal murdering people and holding rituals in their neighborhood? It's not like, oh, I think my neighbors might be swingers. Maybe I should wear a shirt with a pineapple print on it and see if they say something. There's not a secret Mm. code that you can drop to see if your neighbors are into sacrificing goats under the full moon and drinking their blood to try to summon a demon. Which year was this? When did this come out? So Michelle Remembers was published in 1980, and then 1985 was when Padzer was on 2020, May of 1985, and then Michelle Smith and Laurel Rose Wilson were on Oprah in 1989. So it's pre-cable news. Yeah. But it's also in an era when we're starting to see the growth of uh, sensationalism in mainstream news. Like, if I saw this on the news today, I would know that it's 100% hype bullshit because... Let's be real. If you see something crazy like this on TV news today, there's a pretty decent chance that it's like hype bull. But back in the 80s, I don't know, maybe I'd trust it a bit more. 
Yeah. And because if you lived in the 80s, how would you personally, there's no internet. There, there aren't, you can't go look up this thing online and try to fact check it, but you also can't look up resources for how to check it in real life, not on the internet. You can't Google what time your local courthouse is open to try to pull somebody's birth certificate. So there is not only can you not just look things up on the internet, you also can't use the internet to get to the primary sources. All you've got is the library. Like you can go to the library. Right. And libraries can be super helpful, but they can't get information to a person as quickly as the internet can. Like you've got to physically go to a place and if you've got a rock star librarian, they can find amazing amounts of information, but it's not accessible to everybody immediately on a phone that you can use anytime like it is now. So I think it's fair to say that the satanic panic was the entirety of the 80s because of because of the dates, like the when the book came out, when they were on Oprah, when he was on 2020, there was a rash of satanic abuse investigations at daycares. In mm. fact, some people like Fran and Dan Keller went to prison for extended amounts of time because a child from the daycare they ran was pushed into testifying that they had committed satanic ritual abuse against the child. And this was later what? proven false. Um, their conviction got reversed after Fran and Dan had spent 21 years in prison. What? But the news was presenting these satanic abuse cases as 100% real, and it's juicy. It's sensational. People wanted to hear it. How did this happen, though? Like, so was it a situation where the DA was trying to win an election or something, and they had to, you know, get, like, a big public victory? But they must have known that this was a false confession. So the trial happened in 1991, and the child... That So the child that was making the accusation was like three years old or four years old. She was coached to say that she was being abused, but then she recanted on the stand. But the even though the accuser changed her story on the stand, the couple were still convicted. Fran and Dan were convicted because a psychologist who was an expert in satanic ritual abuse said that Fran and Dan were using secret hand signals to influence the child to lie on the stand and say that they didn't abuse her. A of all, I don't know how that stands up to appeal. Second of all, like how do you get to be a quote unquote expert in satanic ritual abuse? Like, do you just, is that just something you can make up and put on your CV? Like, well, what, Lawrence, like, Lawrence Padzer was an expert because he hypnotized his patient and she told him intense stories of physical abuse, which she didn't have scars from because Jesus, Mary, and Michael the Archangel magically healed her scars and suppressed her memories. What? Yeah, that's, that's strangely, the thing about Padzer, the satanic ritual abuse that Michelle described under his hypnotic influence had a lot in common with rumors that had been going around in West Africa about secret societies several decades before she was in therapy with him. And it just so happened that Lawrence Padzer was living in West Africa at the time that these exact rumors were being passed around. So he just like heard these rumors. He's like, this is spicy. Let me. So he either it's possible that he didn't just plant these memories when she was under the influence of hypnosis. It's possible that he just asked too many leading questions and semi-inadvertently planted these memories in her. Because she's under hypnosis, she's extremely suggestible. I am 
still baffled that nobody at ABC pushed back at this. You know, or they pushed back on it. Like, or was it that they were like overruled or like somebody was like, this seems nutty. My bullshit sensor is going off the charts right now. And they're like, no, we're running with this. This is real. This is true. Well, I think that that news companies are their news companies exist to get viewers. And yeah. people don't people don't maybe like to talk about this so much, but people are drawn to the macabre. Why do you think we're all following the Josh Duggar trial? Of course, there is an element of altruism, and I don't want to completely deny that. I think most of us, if he really did what he's accused of, which I think he did, but we don't know for sure for a couple more weeks, if he really did it and he gets convicted, we want the righteous satisfaction of him going to jail where he can't be a danger to anybody else. But I, and that's, that's not a, a, bad it's no. not a bad impulse and i think that a lot of us really do want that like righteous satisfaction of putting a bad person in jail but i think that there is also an element of we like it because it's shocking and it's dramatic you drive past a car wreck and everybody turns their head i'm not saying that that wanting the dramatic is necessarily a good impulse but i think it's human nature these stories made for excellent broadcast news Clearly, these stories paid off in book sales for Smith and Padzer. So I think part of it is that the news companies knew that it would bring in viewers. It was great for business. Well, we know that, you know, because this is the business model that news companies use today. The crazier the story, the better. You know, as long as it's newsworthy, you know, that's how we got stuck with Donald Trump as president for four years because they're just like, hey, here's some crazy shit. But it's newsworthy, so let's mm-hmm. put it on TV and just, ugh, God. Right. Uh, Geraldo Rivera said on air something like, Estimates are that there are over one million Satanists in the United States linked in a highly organized secretive network. Now, this was for a national news special, not in his formal work as a journalist. But Geraldo was a respected figure. And he said in 1987 that there were estimates that there were one million Satanists. Where did this number come from, though? Who's estimating? I don't know. That's the thing. He didn't say who was estimating. I was able to find some articles about the things that he said, but nothing indicates anything other than somebody pulled that number straight out of their ass. I don't know if it was Geraldo himself or somebody who wrote for him. One million that's that is a number that you pull out of your ass, but that people will believe. That's I don't so... I was not able to find anything on where that number came from. Hold on. Let, give me one sec. Let me look something up. Two hundred and forty million. That means uh, and if there's one million, that means. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One in every two hundred and forty people is a Satanist. That's f-ing, that's insane. What? No. Where did this number come? Like no, they're like that's that's insane because a common a common thing. Um, if you know anything about the funeral industry, which you do if you grew up as a pastor's kid, is that we a commonly thing said a commonly said thing in the funeral industry is that most people know about two hundred people, and I think that's that holds up pretty well because most people have between like two hundred and four hundred Facebook friends, depending on if they tend to to send friend requests to people that they don't know well or not but if you if each but on average most people know about 200 people if you know 200 people then that means that everybody knows a satanist 
and not just like somebody who is, believes in Satan, but somebody who is actively involved in the cannibalistic kidnappings and killings and sacrifices of humans. That's f-ing insane. What? Yeah, that that is way, way out there. But Geraldo said this not just once on a special. He said this for years. From 1987 until the mid-90s, Geraldo profited and brought in viewers based on the Satanic Panic. Oprah, national news syndicates, magazines, newspapers, they all brought in massive viewership and massive readership promoting these same rumors. So there is very little evidence saying that any of this is true. But is there any evidence saying that it's not right? Because like, I mean, saying something is baseless is different than actually debunking it. Part of the results of this moral panic were a lot of copycat reports. All of a sudden, repressed memory recovery therapy was the hot new thing. So about 12,000 people made similar reports through the 1980s. I do want to clarify before I answer your question that you just asked. I'm not trying to say that repressed memories are always false. Some people do absolutely repress memories due to trauma and are able to access them later, either through therapy or they remember them because of a new trauma that reminds them of the old trauma. It's pretty rare, but repressed memories are absolutely real. I also think, though, if you go into a memory recovery hypnosis session expecting to find satanic ritual trauma, you're probably going to find it. So it's, mm. I, I don't, I, I was worried in the last episode, I may have came, come off as like repressed memories are fake. I shouldn't say that. They're they're definitely real, but they're pretty rare. And if you go looking for something under hypnosis, you're going to find it. So to answer your question, after hearing thousands of similar reports, Congress' total budget for investigating and preventing crimes against children more than doubled. The FBI investigated thousands of these claims Local police departments investigated thousands of these claims. Dozens of daycares were investigated. There were national news trials like the Faith Chapel Church case, the Keller daycare trial, which I mentioned earlier, and there was not one single credible instance of people actually committing this particular satanic ritual abuse. No evidence of a national group of Satan worshipers, no bodies found that would match the MO in these reports. There were individual cases of abuse. There was one case where custodial grandparents were molesting their grandchildren, and they had incorporated satanic imagery into that abuse. But those evil people were not connected to a deep underground network of a million Satanists. They were just evil people who used certain imagery in their abuse. Just like Jack Scott used used Jesus as an excuse to exploit a teenage girl, these people used Satan as an excuse to molest children. The only crimes that were actually tied to Satanism were minor vandalism. I could totally see a TV show based on this, though. You know, like like the X Files, but instead of investigating aliens, they're investigating the devil. So, like, you have one cop who used to be in seminary like to be a priest but dropped out and then you have one cop who's like i don't believe in the devil you Dude, know i would i would watch that out of that like set in the 80s i would watch that yeah like glow but for satanic investigations so i found out one more interesting thing about the satanic panic that you might want to know about oh what's that <sighs> i'm taking a deep breath because this is a big one <laughs> god there was a prominent extremely prominent psychiatrist named D. Corridan Hammond, who made a speech called the Greenbaum speech. 
And I'm a little bit floored by this, to be honest. He was apparently one of the biggest experts on these recovered memories and uh, hypnosis to to get to recovered memories, deprogramming people who had supposedly been victims of satanic ritual abuse. He gave the Green Bomb speech at a medical convention where he received a standing ovation from the material he presented. In this speech, he gave detailed theories about how these people are abused and programmed. Like there was, he had come up with the idea of this whole machine that his patients had described to him with like uh, electrodes that go on different parts of your body and how they like computer program your brain to be a Satanist. So he gets through all of all, all of these details that his patients had told him. And then just out of nowhere, he said that the origins of the satanic cult that is abusing thousands of children came from a Jewish man who escaped Nazi Germany and then became a member of the CIA. What? So this entire thing, the whole big thing is literally just blood libel, not even hidden, not even, it's just right there coming from one of the most prominent people to speak about this. I knew, like, I knew this was going to happen sooner or later. Like, if you bring up conspiracies and abuse and secret networks working behind the scenes, like, and somebody doesn't blame the Jews, it's like, wow, that went differently than I expected. Like, there's, like, it all just, like, I didn't freight train. I didn't see this coming. I was thinking, like, listen, okay, I know that people like to blame the Jews for stuff, but Satan is more of a Christian concept Surely there's no way that we can blame the Jews for something that they don't even really believe in. Do you remember the word synagogue of Satan? Yeah. When I was talking about Anderson, he's just nuts. No, but like synagogue, that's like a thing that people think the Jews are, are worship at the synagogue of Satan. It's not just Steven Anderson. If you're right, I forgot about that. If you're nuts and you're out there you like no i forgot that that was a whole thing outside of stephen anderson do you know about like i mean you know about the protocols of the elders of zion oh yeah definitely yeah that's what like that's what all that is synagogue of satan protocols of the elders of zion satanic panic QAnon. it's all just like same shit just rehashed a lot of people asked me on my ama that we did if i thought that QAnon was a cult and this is precisely the reason that i said uh on the ama and on my on our uh primer episode or whatever episode we talked about it on this is the reason i said it has cult-like attributes there are almost certainly cults rising around certain leaders within QAnon, but it's really more of a mass hysteria than a cult if you look into the history of mass hysteria from the dancing plague to the salem witch trials all the way to now At least it makes a lot of sense to me. I don't know if it'll make sense to people who look that up or not. After researching this, I'm really of the opinion that QAnon is just, it's not even a new thing. It's just a continuation of the same satanic panic. It's it's just like the satanic panic became less popular for a few decades and then it reemerged on the internet. So what blows my mind is that this guy, D. Corden Hammond, still has a medical license and works for universities. If you Google him, this Greenbaum speech is on like the third page of results. The first few pages are just articles about how cool and awesome he is. I'm going to publish my wow. sources for these episodes on Patreon. Um, I'm linking the speech. 
I have I found post. a PDF of this, huh? A free post. Yeah, yeah, free Patreon post um that anybody can access whether or not you have a Patreon account or whether or not you support us. I'm but I'm going to link I found a PDF of the Green Bomb speech. I'm linking it. Please go check it out. This speech was made in 1992. It it is Okay, I got to tell you about this speech really quick before I move on. This guy associates Dungeons and Dragons, LSD, methodical cult programming, cannibalism, dissociative identity disorder, the Manson family, the assassination of RFK, and the Illuminati all into mm. one thing and then blames it on this unnamed Jewish man. That tracks. That just blows my mind. I've, it's, it's, it, this is ridiculous. It does not blow my mind at all. That like I'm just like, okay, that sounds about right. So this episode is just like things that blow one of our minds that does not have the same effect on the other one of us. That's just, that's, guess, that's yeah. this episode. That that is this episode. No, I've seen like I've seen enough shit, like blow up on the internet. Like I've seen. So I know I've talked about this before, uh, but the stuff he's rehashing is just like the protocols of the elders of Sion, which is a big anti-Semitic hoax that was made up by the Russians over like a hundred years ago. Uh, to say that the Jews have a secret satanic plot to take over the world. That is literally like the original source material for all of this stuff. I listened to a podcast about that. It seems like every conspiracy theory is is coming from that. Oh, all of them. Every single so, one of them. So the Green Bomb speech was made in 1992. So by this time, on one hand, the repressed memory recovery hypnotherapy was very trendy and a lot of people were doing it. But on the other hand, Michelle Remembers had specifically been debunked by that point. So they they actually debunked it. Yes. And I think the way that it's debunked is really important because it's very different from just saying that's crazy. It's actually debunked with facts. Some of the claims that Michelle Smith and other similar people who claim satanic ritual abuse made were that these satanic cabal cults had interaction with local police. And sometimes the police were even a part of the group. So they had uh, advanced ways of disposing of bodies so the bodies weren't found and the police would help cover for them. So it's already hard to prove a negative. So it's hard to prove that this didn't happen. It's easier to prove something did happen than prove that it didn't. And they're claiming that the police are involved, make it, making it even harder to prove that this thing didn't happen because you can say, oh, there's no police report. And the person who is propagating this conspiracy theory can say, oh, well, the police were involved. W what I'm saying is that there are a lot of obstacles to proving her story false. But there are a couple of things that make her story impossible. First, she claimed that some of the rituals in which she was forced to take part happened at the Ross Bay Cemetery in Victoria, British Columbia. She described large crowds gathering there, and she described screaming while being tortured during these rituals. Well, the Ross Bay Cemetery is surrounded on three sides by residential neighborhoods. And nobody saw them literally torturing a woman. A child. She claimed child. she was five years old. She, she, she claimed that all of this happened between the time she was like four and six. But nobody saw anything. Nobody heard anything. And this is something that I've learned when learning to think critically about conspiracy theories. The larger a conspiracy is claimed to be, the more unlikely it is to be true. For example, I do believe that there is a conspiracy to kill JFK. But when I say conspiracy, I mean the legal definition. Two or more people planned to do it. I think personally, my theory, I think there were maybe 10, maybe 20 people involved at the very most. 
there are writers about David, I think it's David Lifton is the name of the author, but I'm not 100% sure. There were writers about the JFK conspiracy who say that thousands of people were involved in the conspiracy and the cover up. That's ridiculous. You can't have thousands of people involved in the conspiracy like that or somebody's going to know about it. That's exactly what I'm saying. So when we're examining. That's a lot of loose ends. That, that is too, it's too many because the statistical likelihood of being able to keep a secret goes down with every person that is in on the secret. So when we're examining this cemetery claim, when Michelle Smith says that she was abused in the Ross Bay Cemetery, it's possible that if there were a dozen potential witnesses, that a dozen people could have been killed, could have been disappeared, could have been threatened into silence. But if we're talking about hundreds or thousands of potential witnesses, you can't keep tabs on that many people. It's impossible that someone wouldn't have accidentally or purposely let something slip at some point. Between this cemetery incident and her claims of rituals going on, she claimed that she was a part of an 81-day ritual in a huge circular room someplace in Victoria with hundreds of attendees who were there every night for 81 nights. What, like a hockey stadium? It could be a hockey stadium or like a large ballroom or something. Uh, There are thousands of people who could have potentially seen something suspicious. Let's say all of those people, thousands of people, were threatened by the Satanists with death and torture if they talked. You're telling me that not one out of a thousand people would have put their life on the line to save a child? Also, like thousands of people are in there, right? There's hundreds at least. Yeah. So that means, that, but they're in there for 81 days. Not, the janitor isn't f-ing taking the trash out for 81 days. You're like, oh, <laughs> imagine like renting out the space, right? You're like, oh, we, who's renting out the space? Oh, the Satanists need it. They have a ritual where they're torturing a child. They're going to need the the hockey so, arena for the next 81 days. You can't <laughs> practice with your team. Like, So, uh, well, well, hundreds of people on. were absent from their jobs for 81 days. Yeah. And- How? That that doesn't track. Where was the space that they used for 81 days? Let's say that they had a space. Let's say that there's just like a secret satanic space that they can use. That's just like a building downtown and nobody knows what it's for. And it turns out that's the Satan headquarters. You don't get hundreds of people into a building without seeing, without people like seeing people go into a building. So how many people saw hundreds of people go into a building? Yeah. And be like, oh, what's that building? I wonder if that's the Satanist going to have a ritual. <laughs> so you like, I, I'm just saying, you don't move hundreds of people around like that without being noticed. Like to believe that this 81 day ritual took place, you also have to believe that the Satanists have some kind of underground traveling system under the city, or that they've threatened hundreds, if not thousands, of people into silence. That's... So th- th- that was pretty easily debunked. The part of Smith's claim that is even more clearly not possible is her claim of an 81 day. It, it relates to the claim of that 81 day ritual. So that's like almost three months. Were her yes. parents involved in the abuse or did they were they just complete absentees? Her dad was not in her life at the time. Her mother Michelle claims, was a Satanist and part of the abuse. Here's the thing, though. She was present in school during the time of the supposed 81-day ritual. There are school pictures, reports on her classwork, 
The teachers say that they were interacting with her and that there were no signs of abuse, physical or mental. And Oprah didn't check them out before having them on. Like, what what are we doing here? Oprah is kind of famous for not fact-checking, or at least was at the time. She recorded an episode with the Duggars, but it never aired because one of her staff actually fact-checked and found out that about the Josh Duggar original abuse scandal right before the episode that she recorded with the Duggars was supposed to air. But what about the the Million Little Pieces guy? I don't know what this is. Oh, so back in like 2005, this guy, James Frey, he had a book about like he came out with this book about how he did a bunch of ju- uh, drugs and then he went to rehab and then Oprah picked it for her book club and she had him come on the show and then she confronted him about how the, like a lot of it was just totally fake. It was big Ooh. news. Do you remember that? Uh, no. In 2005, I was in a cult. Oh, OK. Well, there was a and South Oprah Park was episode. evil. Do you remember the South Park episode where Towley went on Oprah? Yes. That's oh, what that is that what it's on. about? Yeah. So that episode was called A Million Little Fibers. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so that was. <laughs> yeah, it, I know the South Park shredded. episode. Yeah. And she like basically shreds the guy like on live. Okay. You can look it up. It's brutal. I totally will. I, I think Oprah got better about checking people's stories after she got burned, almost burned by the Duggar thing. So after years of this just complete frenzy, By the mid-90s, the world seemed to move on from the satanic panic. But did the IFB move on? That's the question. I'm sure this is going to be a huge surprise, but no. So what I heard growing up in the IFB, it isn't really anything new and different from the prevalent narrative that we've spent one and a half episodes discussing at this point. See, I think this is interesting because we were born in the same year and we grew up at the same time, but in like polar opposite cultures. And when I was growing up, and I mentioned this to the patrons, uh, I asked my dad about the satanic panic. He had literally no idea what I was talking about. And when I was growing up, if somebody was talking about Satan or, you know, secretly controlling or, or, you know, or avoiding something because of the devil, I would have assumed that that person was a super religious weirdo. But this stuff is just commonplace for you. Everything that we've discussed so far, with the singular exception of blaming it on the Jews, I heard presented to me as absolute truth and reality growing up. Wow. I think normal parents are afraid of their children getting abducted by people like Josh Duggar, allegedly, and Dave Hiles, allegedly. But my parents were afraid of me getting abducted by blood-drinking, kitten-killing, ritual-holding, baby-butchering Satanists. And I was afraid Mm. of it, too. I was shielded from a lot of the sexual content in these satanic abuse rumors. Not all of it, a lot of it. Or if the if I did hear some of the sexual content, it was presented in euphemisms or words that would go over my head. But I was exposed to violent and graphic and sickening descriptions of what the Satanists would do to animals and small children. I think one of our early episodes, you said that the IFB are likely to believe pretty much anything that you might see on Snopes.com. Yeah. So all of these things like urban legends, like razor blades in the Halloween candy, Elton John getting his stomach pumped, Satanist kidnapping and using children for ritual abuse. All of this stuff is 100% true to them. Yes. Uh, Marilyn Manson's rib removal rumor is another one. I'm 99.99% sure that I've heard that from the pulpit. Did they tell you? Which is pretty funny. (laughs) Like, did they tell you 
why that was supposedly a they would say they would say it like in a way that i wouldn't know what it was as a child but adults in the audience wouldn't know it i'm trying to put my words together of how they would they would say it like marilyn manson had his rib removed for self-pleasure like they'd say it like that and i would have no clue what that was as an ifb kid and you would just think that he's like super sadistic that he likes like having pieces like you know that he's like chopping right. fingers off to oh right like i wouldn't understand like what that what that meant mm. this all goes back to the need to see things in terms of inside and outside information this all goes back to the obsession with absolute truth the obsession with being right about things and and having the conviction that you know what you're talking about once this information has crossed the barrier it's been spoken from the pulpit or propagated by church leaders it has entered the realm of absolute truth because we and we've talked about this extensively if it's from the outside it's absolutely alive it's from the inside it's absolutely true and you cannot question it so new information or new allegations will come up and the pastor, if the pastor says it from the pulpit, then it has immediately in an instant become true. And then if you find out more information, I'm sorry, if you find out more information that supports these rumors, that's now inside information as well. I keep trying to wrap my head around this because if you believe 100% of everything that your pastor says is 100% right, this man, this is a man whose education is from one of these Bible colleges but because he knows the Bible, he is therefore an expert on every subject. So like medicine, like uh, politics, like uh, economics, Finances. finance, yeah, th- biology, you know, like science, like every subject. I mean, he could be your IT guy, you know, because he went to Bible college. The Bible tells you how to, to I don't <laughs> know, like, right? Or uh, Yeah. Mm, like if he says he knows about something, then he knows about something. So the pastor can just say some wild shit and now you have to live by that. I mean, that, like, how does this affect? Like, so your parents are paranoid about Satanists scooping you up and taking you to like a cornfield where they draw weird shapes in the corn. Well, I grew up no, in the stranger. Aliens. That's aliens. Yeah. No, oh, I, okay. I grew up in the stranger danger era. So I don't think my parents were comparatively that much more paranoid than the average parent at the time. I think all parents were pretty paranoid at the time. I think their motivations were different. I think other people were cons- were expressing concerns to their children, like, don't talk to strangers. They might be bad people. Don't go to somebody's van to see their puppy. Stay where mom can see you. And regular or worldly parents are thinking, murder, child abuse, ransom. My parents were saying the same things to me. Don't talk to strangers unless you're trying to get them to get saved. Don't go to people's van to see their puppy. Stay where mom can see you. But they're thinking, they're not thinking child abuse, murder, ransom. They're thinking satanic ritual, rape, torture, and murder. It's it's the same action, but it's weirdly different motivations. I want to talk about an IFB figure that was pretty instrumental in this whole satanic panic thing. And that's Jack Chick, who we've been, we've been mentioning. I don't think the IFB's paranoia about this was caused by him, but I think it was fueled by him. The materials that he wrote basically translated the satanic panic that the entire country was going through into IFB speak and put it onto paper. And this is why I like to collect chick tracts and other materials by him, because I think these things have a real historical significance. 
So if you want to relate this to QAnon, what I see happening with QAnon stuff is like there will be a post on the Q message board, some kind of cryptic numerological message, whatever. And three of the big Q YouTubers will do live streams with each other where they try to figure out what this numerological message means. And then when the three of them come to a conclusion, then every other Q YouTuber and social media poster will pass that conclusion on to all of their followers. And then a few hours later, your favorite Q relative is posting on Facebook in all caps saying that Trump will be reinstated and JFK Jr. will be his vice president because that claim has now become accepted truth, like inside information. I think that's how this happened with Jack Chick. He would get these rumors and I'm going to try to find out when we do another episode on him where who his sources were or who was in his ear, where he was getting the original information. But Chick would get a hold of these rumors and present them in a way that seemed so legit to IFB people. And then within the IFB, Jack Chick said it, so now it's true. So within the IFB, they would get passed around as absolute truth. And nobody needed, like nobody felt like they needed to fact check this because Jack Chick was a good Christian man. He's King James only. He's a fundamentalist. His theology matched with the IFB. So they saw him as trustworthy. So if he said that teenagers were being coerced by Dungeons and Dragons to enter into binding contracts with Satan, or if he said that Halloween candy was being poisoned with drugs or filled with razor blades, they believed him. So sometime, um, actually next month, we have a plan to do an episode where we're going to talk about Jack Chick again, specifically his comics. Yeah, there's some stuff that we have. It's going to be it's going to be so much fun. So the last thing I want to talk about before the break is how I think this influenced the IFB's view of music. We covered allegations of Satanism in popular music, specifically heavy metal. I think what happened here is the IFB started from this opinion that you can see well before the Satanic Panic, that the devil is the angel of light, the angel of music, and he has unusual influence over popular music, and he uses that as a tool to deceive people. You can see elements of this belief in printed IFB sermons way before the 80s. I'm thinking of a sermon that Jack Hiles preached about sex education in the late 1960s when he was getting Hammond Baptist off the ground. I think he mentioned this about music in that sermon, if I'm not mistaken. As a sidebar, this is another reason that the IFB think the Phantom of the Opera is evil because of the lyric Angel of Music, Angel of Music, clearly referring to Satan. But what I think happened here is that yeah, that's another reason they hate Phantom. What I think happened here, though, the IFB had this belief about the devil being heavily involved in music already, like way before the satanic panic. And then when the quote unquote world picked up on it, the idea that Satan is being promoted through popular music being a like a mainstream idea that affected the IFB because they now thought well, this music is so evil that even the wicked world sees that it's evil. So they felt vindicated and validated in that belief, and it led them to double down on it. So one theme I've noticed in a lot of these artifacts of Satanic Panic is that, you know, whoever, whatever it is that's whipping people up into a frenzy will take something that is, I don't know, maybe not ubiquitous, but like probably innocuous, and then tell anybody who will listen that that thing is like an artifact or action of, of Satan. And then like, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And you know what, once you hear it, you can't unhear it. And then you mm-hmm. encounter it elsewhere. And you think Satan is everywhere. Like you remember from, um, 
Oh, perfect example. When we were talking about monster energy with our friend, Christine. <laughs> yeah. Friend of the podcast. Uh, perfect example. She says the logo of monster energy is satanic. Right. And like, so mm-hmm. anytime you see a drink that has a T on it now and the T looks like a cross, you've got to check to see if that company is satanic. Because right. like if you drink it and the cross goes upside down, it's bottoms up and the devil laughs. Now somebody's telling you that the Chrysler Pentastar logo is actually a pentagram. And now suddenly everybody who drives a Chrysler is secretly a Satanist. And it doesn't help if you look at the cars that they make because they made a car called the Demon. They made a car called the Hellcat. Yeah, They, um, they made the PT Cruiser for God's sake. <laughs> I mean, it's not just separating yourself from a sinful world. It's trying to make you terrified to go out into the world and it keeps you in. It's an effective control technique. I've said it before and I'll say it again. It's easier and more effective to scare people into staying inside of their own accord than it could ever be to try to imprison people physically. It is easier and much cheaper to build a compound in people's minds and in their souls and to convince them to stay where they are because it's the only safe place to be. Well, I think it's uh, better to be inside your own accord than to be inside your own PT cruiser. There's a lot of Baptist jokes about that. The, like the, there's there's something about um, I can't even remember the the joke. It's something about Jesus and the twelve apostles all being in one accord. Somebody somebody will put it on our Facebook group. There there's a there's a funny joke about that. Oh, I think I've heard that. I think I've heard that joke. Okay. Oh. Okay, so I'm sorry. Let's let's go to break, and then we'll come back, and then we'll talk about the actual uh, Church of Satan and, and actual Satanists and what they believe. That that sounds like a plan. Let's go take up the offering. Cool. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, that group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Okay, we are back. We are talking about Satan, Satanism, Satanic Panic, and we've heard a lot about something called Satanic Ritual Abuse, which seems to me to be a little bit of a hoax. But there are actual people 
in this country, there are actual people who go to the Church of Satan, and obviously they can't be out here sacrificing babies. They can't be out here uh, like drinking goat's blood and like bathing in it for yeah. Spoiler alert: they're yeah. they're not doing those things. No, I wouldn't think they would be. That would be very strange. Illegal. What what is it? We're we're here. We're going to talk about like actual Satanism, like the people who say that they're Satanists. What are they doing? So real Satanism is a pretty broad topic. It just like Christianity is there are Christians who believe and practice all sorts of different things. This is just going to be a really surface level overview of some of the high points of modern Satanism. So I'm I'm mostly talking about the last 100 to 120 years. I want to notate right from the jump that the category of Satanism includes both theistic and non-theistic Satanists. So there are some who do believe to some extent in the existence of Satan as a god or demigod who should be worshipped um, or a, a spirit. Like, like this is a real, not person, but a real spirit being. There are those who don't believe in Satan as a quote-unquote person or spirit being, but more as an idea or a concept, which is the majority of Satanists. We're going to get huh. into that, but I, I, that's an important distinction to make from the beginning. With the really limited time that we have on the back half of this episode, I think the best way to organize this is to talk about three different major thought leaders in modern Satanism and their beliefs. Because while these three men don't represent the factions and types and groups within Satanism as a spectrum, they're three extremely influential figures. I want to talk about Aleister Crowley, Anton LaVey, and Lucian Graves. I also want to note real quick before we move on that there are surely, these, these are all three happen to be white men. I'm sure that there are plenty of people of color and women and LGBT people who are leaders in Satanism. These are the three with like the best brand recognition, and that's why I'm choosing to talk about them. Well, great. Um, so one of these guys I've actually heard of, I think I mentioned him briefly last week when we were talking about you know, backwards masking and music, and mm -hmm. that is Aleister Crowley. So Crowley is an important and highly complicated person in the modern world of the occult, and his teachings lean more towards the theistic side. Um, I'll talk about some of the, the gods and goddesses that he worshipped, including Satan. As I've been reading about him, it is really hard to put him into an idealistic category of love him or hate him. It's very obvious to me that he was able to live the life that he did because of wealth and privilege. While he valued and revered women, he was also pretty misogynistic. And he re was really bad about fetishizing and othering people of color. Uh, like, a lot. Really bad. He was kind of a jerk, and he had some really toxic views. That was like academic back, then, like in like the early twentieth century. People right. thought we're, that we're was gonna, like we're gonna get into that. Like race science was like a thing. Right. And you're like, and oh, like, I'm smart. Mm. At that time, fetishizing and othering people of color was seen as the progressive option because the other option was like enslaving people of color. Yeah. So for his time. Okay, for his time, his views were very much on the progressive side. Not necessarily like cutting edge, but definitely progressive. But in today's light, they'd be seen as super problematic. 
So it's it's an interesting contrast. That being said, I would absolutely have a beer with this guy. He sounds interesting as f- just on life experience alone. This guy may have been one of the most interesting people to ever live. Yeah, it's like when you read a book from like the 1930s and the term mongoloid pops up. Oof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's a word you don't see every often. Yeah. Um, but no, I was thinking like, I mean, a lot of times though, um, and maybe I'll get canceled for saying this, uh, very problematic people can be a great hang. You know, I, I, can't, <laughs> I can't disagree with that. You know, this this guy is no longer alive, so I don't really see the need to subject him to cancel culture. No. He's not he's he's dead. It's kind of irrelevant. I think that I think we can see both things. I think we can see he was super interesting and super problematic. I, you know, I, I don't think we need to do just one or the other. Yeah. So let me tell you about this guy. Alistair Crowley was born into wealth and privilege in Britain in 1875. His parents were very Christian. I don't think it would be out of line to even associate them with modern fundies. And he rebelled against the principles that his parents tried to instill in him. He was very free-spirited. He had this proper British education with the boarding schools and all that. But he was more interested in poetry, mysticism, mountaineering, and basically, basically living a very dilettante lifestyle. By his late teens and early 20s, he was involved in hiring sex workers, getting several STDs in the process, discovering his bisexuality, writing poetry, climbing mountains, and basically doing whatever the f*** wanted, thanks to the hefty inheritance that he got when his father died when he was 11. He was in school in university at Cambridge, but he didn't end up getting a degree because he apparently just didn't care to get a degree. He made good grades. He just didn't bother to graduate because he was so rich it would never matter. He's just like, I'm going to go take whatever class I want to take, and I don't care if it's going towards something. Yeah, like there was like That's... one requirement he needed to do for graduation, and he was just like, eh, I don't feel like it. So he's like Piers Hawthorne? He's just going to take every class that they offer at school? And just... Yes. Yes, oh like, very much like that. He he was just like kind of, he was, he was at university because it connected him to drugs and sex workers and mountain climbing buddies and potential boyfriends. Um, would you know, whatever, do you know, do whatever you're gonna do, do it safely and consensually. But I should go back to college. <laughs> you need a boyfriend. <laughs> Sorry that the your your boyfriend joke it made me laugh. That oh, was good, a good one. I thought that was good. His connections at Cambridge got him involved with budding and established esoteric communities in turn of the century London. If you think about the time period, this is when spiritualism was a huge thing in the United States. People taking spirit photographs and channeling Abraham Lincoln and those um, those sisters whose name I can never remember who like faked spirit knocking by cracking their knuckles under the table. You belong to the secret club. It, it was super trendy over there, just like spiritualism was super trendy over here. And Crowley was getting involved with all of these famous people and future famous people and other rich white dudes like himself who had way too much money on their hands and did a lot of drugs and he was getting involved in like the ground level of a lot of these societies when that was the trend in europe he also traveled a lot he traveled to mexico india southeast asia paris calcutta all over the world and he picked up magical like local magical rituals and local drugs from all of those places good times 
yeah, I mean, I don't like, I want to fully idolize this guy, but his life does sound pretty great aside from all the STDs. During all these travels, he was involved with several occult societies, particularly the OTO, the Ordo Templi Orientis. If you want to know about the OTO, I highly suggest you check out the Ono, Ross, and Carrie episodes related to that because they go into so much detail. So while Crowley was involved in several occult societies on and off, practicing learning a lot of magic from different magical traditions around the world, he was also writing a lot of poetry, and he started writing the holy books for his own religion, Thelema. So can we talk about what a cult actually is? Oh, yeah, I should have defined that. So the way that I'm using it, talking about Crowley, I think the way that he would have defined it, magical and mystical workings, like, uh, you know, candles and circles and incense and stuff involving gods and goddesses and rituals, but not necessarily god or satan related he did workings with with like ancient greek gods and stuff this is just like paganism yeah but like paganism but like make it aesthetic he had a mix of rituals from all kinds of places and then also a lot of drugs and six-week sex rituals with his lover victor newberg invoking gods like mercury and jupiter invoking demons and ancient gods and like maybe sometimes invoking satan but that's Satan wasn't like much. the main course. That's that's kind of extra. It's extremely extra. You know what I realized? This guy, if he were alive a hundred years later, can you imagine he would have had such a banging Instagram grid? Like this guy would have had an Instagram aesthetic. Okay, but every time I follow somebody and their whole Instagram is like travel pics and preachy spiritual stuff, I'm just like block block you know like, yeah, i think I his grid would have been all travel pictures but also like animal bones and cool tattoos and candles and spells and pictures where he's clearly tripping balls and there's some like nonsensical philosophical caption yeah but that like makes me bad feel like i never get opportunities to go on vacation rarely you know i would i would block this man immediately i feel like he would just be so annoying oh i would smash that follow button so hard no I would, um, which people did in a non-Instagram kind of way. So, like, you were talking about, like, his, like, privilege earlier. You're basically painting him as, like, an Instagram influencer. I'm just like, yeah, f- this ass. He, like, he probably would have driven, like, a yellow Mercedes G-Wagon. That's what I'm picturing. Or, like, a McLaren. This is the guy to, like... I don't... I mean, I think he would have been one of those, like, I don't own a car, I only bike people. But I don't think it's out of line to paint him like an influencer because that's really what he had. He had an idealized version of life that most people in his time would never be able to attain. And that idealized life that he was able to live because he had the money and the opportunity to do so gained him popularity, followers, free drugs, and the freedom to be like, hey, yeah, a spirit contacted me and gave me the new rules of a religion. And people were like, yeah, cool, man. He'd probably be doing TikToks with Jake Paul or Island Boys. Is I just, yeah, I think he would, yeah. I think he would be big on TikTok <laughs> as like a spiritual influencer when he claimed that he was contacted by a spirit being that dictated to him the laws of the new religion, Thelema. And as much as we've shit on this guy, the rules of Thelema are actually really chill. And they are foundational to modern Satanism. So this is where he becomes a little bit more important. So the three main rules are 
Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Every man and every woman is a star. And love is the law, love under will. So the rules are basically find out what it is what you really want, do that thing, don't violate others' will or what they really want, and act with love for yourself and others. So that can't be right because I heard that this guy was dark and an evil person and a devil worshiper. Yeah, he was definitely dark and definitely a devil worshiper, but this is what he actually taught. Do what you f***ing want. Don't f*** with other people. We're going to visit these ideas again when we talk about the Satanic Temple in a few minutes. But I do want to point out that even from this, you can see how consent is foundational to Satanism. So Crowley was super influential. Yes. So his writings are responsible for shaping Wicca, modern paganism, and chaos magic, as well as being influential on the Church of Satan and the Satanic Temple, although both of those have grown have added to his teachings and gone in different directions. He's a really complicated guy. Um, I am totally going to do a Wikipedia hyper-focused deep dive for like six hours on him at some point in my life. So what were you taught about him growing up? I don't remember hearing too much about him other than the typical salacious lines, like being evil incarnate and a devil worshiper and a sexual pervert. Which which is true, not that I'm necessarily saying that in a bad sense, but but most of that is true. He's associated with human sacrifice incorrectly. The OTO has a ritual in which a person acts as a sacrifice in like a play-acting sense, but the person is not harmed at all by the ritual. It's a symbolic thing. But he... People people misinterpreted that and said that he was actually sacrificing people, and then he got blamed for bringing these occult ideas into the semi-mainstream, which is not incorrect. Like He was a big part of, of popularizing these ideas. But really, the hype around a lot of him is just like fear-mongering. Yeah. Do they, they played up his, were they playing up his influence on like rock music and heavy metal? Not as much as you might think. I wasn't hearing... Crowley is responsible for heavy metal. I was hearing if your teenage daughter is wearing black nail polish and shopping at that den of Satan known as Hot Topic, she's probably into Aleister Crowley and she's going to be a, a <laughs> she's going to be a virgin sacrifice for the Satanists. At Hot Topic. They really really That's think crazy. that Hot Topic is super evil. <laughs> <laughs> they are, they are really like I know people who would like pray when they walked past hot topics so the demons wouldn't come out and get them that's hilarious they walk past spencer's gifts in the mall what do they do they're like i don't think anybody knew what we were just told not to go in there so i never knew what was in there (laughs) the next person i want to talk about is anton levey who is not nearly as interesting as alistair crowley compared to the average person levey is still very interesting but after crowley i think that anybody would be a little bit of a letdown LeVay is important because he wrote the Satanic Bible and founded the Church of Satan. What is the Satanic Bible? The Satanic Bible is kind of a secularization of Crowley's writings. Crowley was into all of these gods and goddesses and said that spirits spoke to him and spoke through him. And LeVay rejected most of that and repackaged Satanism as a form of atheism. Crowley Mm. wrote that God—no, LeVay wrote— that God and Satan are just two sides of the same coin, and they're both reflections of our inner selves. He completely avoids the designations of good or bad and and states that good and bad are, are societal constructs. So he presents 
good deeds or bad deeds as like socially acceptable things or not socially acceptable things. So if Satanism is a form of atheism, then why do they use the concept of the Jewish God and the Christian embodiment of Satan? So it's embracing the idea of Satan as adversary, which we covered way back at the beginning of this two-part episode. So under Levian Satanism, it's you are God. I think that the reason he chose to use the common Christian terms God and Satan was one for shock value to get attention and two, to try to present this as an alternative to Christianity, simply because he was American and Christianity is prevalent in America. Also, I think that using those terms and using the term Bible in the title of his work was a way to get a lot of media attention in the late 1960s. Yeah, see, that's like why I could never get on board with this. If you're just piggybacking off of Christianity, it feels a lot more to me like you're telling us what you're against rather than telling me what you're in support of yeah that's fair you know like and that that doesn't that doesn't fly with me you know like people will be like i'm against this i'm against that you know if somebody's running for office they'll say i i'm against this i'm against that okay great what are you for that's that's my my take on it it's like being reactionary but on the opposite side of the ideological spectrum so it just i don't know it's, it's not for me I think that's a fair criticism. The Church of Satan and the Satanic Temple, which we're going to get to in a minute, have both had a lot of that baked into their beliefs. On the other hand, the tenets of the Church of Satan and the Satanic Bible are, once again, pretty harmless. LeVay apparently straight up plagiarized these nine tenets from Ayn Rand and just switch some wording i was i did not quite have time to get into the context of like what part of her work this came from so this is just objectivism with like a a shiny new coat of paint i I mean that's that's totally possible but (laughs) let me read you the nine tenants because they're actually not bad okay so number one satan represents indulgence instead of abstinence number two Satan represents vital existence instead of spiritual pipe dreams. Number three, Satan represents undefiled wisdom instead of hypocritical self-deceit. Number four, Satan represents kindness to those who deserve it instead of love wasted on ingrates. I do want I do want to take a quick break here to, to note that all of these end with an exclamation point, which feels a bit aggressive. Number five, Satan represents vengeance instead of turning the other cheek. Number six, Satan represents responsibility to the responsible instead of concern for psychic vampires. Seven, psychic vampire. What? I'm, I, I don't have time to get into that at the moment. Seven, <sighs> Satan represents man as just another animal, sometimes better, more often worse than those that walk on all fours, who, because of his divine spiritual and intellectual development, has become the most vicious animal of all. Eight, Satan represents all of the so-called sins as they all lead to physical, mental, or emotional gratification. Nine, Satan has been the best friend the church has ever had as he has kept it in business all these years. Uh, mm. So some of those are like, fine. Some of them are weird. Cringe AF. Like, what is this? Satan represents the so-called sins as they lead to, as they all lead to physical, mental, or emotional gratification. Like, so the point killing that it, somebody, that's a sin. Okay, yeah, that's like, the first thing that you jump to. But think about other things that are that are called sins, like being gay. Yeah, but it says the they point, all lead to. They yeah, all lead to that. Yes, 
that's the part I don't agree with. The point that I would agree with is that in a lot of cases, the church seems to say things are sins just because they make you feel too good, like drugs or being gay. Like the church is like, oh, you can't make yourself happy in that way. And I'm just going to say that it's immoral without any actual thought as to whether those actions harm yourself or anyone else. See, this is also the issue that I have is that it's like Satan represents this instead of this. Like if you're not with us, you're like that's. Yeah, I and I, I do agree that there's like some black and white thinking or like us versus them mentality in this. And it is obvious that this is trying to be the opposite of Christianity. But I do think that these tenets make it obvious as well that the Church of Satan does not see Satan as a real spirit being, much less as a deity, but as a representation of what LeVay called controlled selfishness. Controlled selfishness is the idea that if you do something nice for someone, it will make you happy. So if you are doing good things for selfish reasons, you go on with yourself. Like, go ahead. That's fine. Like, it's fine to buy a homeless person a meal simply because it's going to make you feel better about yourself. You don't need some like grand spiritual reason. Like it's okay to do nice things for bad reasons. I'm still can't get over the fact like these are all just ripped off from mine grand. Like I just, I mean, it's kind of ironic. I think it's so funny that, you know how religious right wingers pretend that they're libertarians to. Yes. Yeah. But like now that like they love Ayn Rand, they're all about Ayn Rand. And now like I'm finding out here, I'm reading this and like, oh, wait, they believe the exact same thing as these Satanists that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I know that horseshoe theory is kind of uh, unpopular right now, but stuff like this also makes me really believe in horseshoe theory. Look. Horseshoe theory is only unpopular with the people who are proving horseshoe theory to be 100% accurate. So, <laughs> so before I make Sorry. anybody else mad. No, I live for the beef. So I think you can see, though, how the do what you do what thou wilt be the whole of the law and love is the law, love under will. Ha- those rules from Crowley have influenced LeVay. He's What he's done is he's taken a lot of the mysticism out and replaced it with his brand of humanism and self-worship. Hmm. Now, there are satanic rituals recommended in the satanic Bible and currently still performed by the Church of Satan. Uh, just to demystify those for our audience, a lot of them are just like borrowed things from the Christian tradition and rewritten with the concept of Satan as rebellion and self-worship in place of God. Like they, they've rewritten the Lord's Prayer to be satanic. Uh, they've rewritten masses and a couple of scripture verses. It's blasphemous, but it's not desecrating the sacred on the level of other things that we've talked about. So like, it is what it is. It's not it's not like as, as grand and mystical, mystical as you might think. I get where they're coming from. OK, but this still reminds me of. OK, do you remember when we talked about music and there was the IFB version of My Way with the rewritten lyrics? Yes. This feels like that, but in reverse. Okay, that is actually pretty accurate. Okay, so this whole like rewriting the Lord's Prayer to be satanic thing. I I know that you see it as a little bit cringe. That's fine. But like, is it harmful? LeVay was asked about human sacrifice because that's a thing that's hugely associated with Satanism. His response was that human sacrifice would be unacceptable to a Satanist except to kill someone who deserved to die. And that a Satanist would never sacrifice a baby or an animal because babies and animals are considered to be morally pure. 
So his response was maybe a little more ambiguous than I would have liked. I would have liked no (laughs) as the answer. But what I can tell you (laughs) is that there's no human sacrifice ritual or anything like that in the Church of Satan. Okay, but they're still not, I guess. They're the same as Christians in that they support the death penalty, or at least conservative Christians. I know that you guys, the Catholics, don't, aren't, aren't, Aren't supposed to. Aren't supposed to. I'm not a fan of the death penalty either. I don't know, man. The, like, the only time that I hear about the Church of Satan, I feel like, is when they come out in opposition to some political move by the religious right. Oh, um, no. I think you just made a, a really common mistake. The satanic organization that's politically active that you hear about, like, protesting at Westboro Baptist Church, that kind of thing, that's not the Church of Satan. That's the other one. That's the satanic temple, mm. which is led by Lucian Graves. And I have been so excited this entire episode to get to this point. Why is that? Because Lucian Graves is so hot. Oh my God. No. Also, if you guys hear my baby um, in the background, she's hanging out with her dad. I'm recording while she's awake for once. But, but Lucian Graves is so cute. As nice as it is that the satanic, the satanic temple, is that who they? That, yeah, TST. That they support abortion rights. There's some issues that, like, I really wish they would stay out of. You know what I'm saying? If they come out in support of or, like, against something, it's going to get press. And then everybody's got to have to, like, try and distance themselves from it. Like, if they come out in favor of, like, abortion rights and people are just going to be like, oh, well, you agree with the satanic tip? Like, oh. Yeah, I get where you're coming from, but also I feel that Christians could play that to their own advantage if they just had the guts to. Like, progressive Christians could potentially play, like, if we didn't back down from that and be like, oh, we can't be associated with the Satanists. If instead we understood what Satanists actually believe, speaking as a uh, apparently the head of all progressive Christians, don't you know? You are progressive Christianity at its worst. I am. Um, no, but if we like if we who are like progressive Christians or progressive religious people who are not Christians just kind of took that and ran with it instead of shying away from it. If we just said, look, our point is so right that everybody from Christians to the Satanists agree with it. I think that we could play that in our favor instead of just backing down from it because the, the evil, spooky Satanists believe in it. But I, I think that, you know, causing this kind of conversation is very much the point of the Satanic Temple. And where I come down on them in general is I don't agree with everything that they say or do by any means. But I think that they make a good counterpoint to the prevalence of Christianity in America. Arch Radish, our TikTok friend, made a video fairly recently. He's an atheist and he was talking about cultural Christianity and his views on that. And I just have to say, even as a Christian, I agree with him that cultural Christianity has gone way too far. So I I feel like the Satanic Temple, I don't have to like everything they do to to say that they're making a good point. This is is one of the issues that I get, is that I think that I think that the counterpoint to cultural Christianity is not like anti-Christianity. I think that the counterpoint to the prevalence of like cultural Christianity in America is more of like pluralism, like that maybe get the perspective of a different religion, like Judaism or Buddhism or Hinduism, you know, something that people are going to see and immediately not think, oh, these guys are the anti-Christian. Like, it's not a binary. If it's either Christian or not Christian and not Christian is the satanic temple, I'm going to be like, well, these guys are cringe. 
It's, I mean, it's a I color get, palette. Okay, I, yeah. I very much get where you're coming from with the need for perspectives from people who are religious and not Christian as a counterpoint to cultural Christianity. However, how are you going to make a counterpoint for atheism? Like when when the binary is yes or no, like yes, religion or no religion, who is going to be? Okay, so if you've got somebody representing Catholics, somebody representing Protestants, somebody representing Judaism, somebody representing Buddhism, and somebody representing Hinduism, well, who's representing the atheists? No, there's a lot of atheists out there. That, I know there are, like, but like, how? Where? Where is their seat at the table? I think. Th- I think what the Satanic Temple is saying is that that atheists don't have a seat at the table and that they deserve one, and that if they have to couch themselves in Christian language to get a seat at the table, then that's what they're going to do. I guess. I mean, I'm not saying that this is like the absolute perfect solution, or that like I stand the Satanic Temple um, overly much. But I think maybe that's where they're coming from. I mean, but it's basically just giving reactionaries an open dunk. That is extremely fair. But I think that giving reactionaries an open dunk is exactly what the, the Satan Temple is trying to do. There, uh, there's we've had a really good conversation about whether that's the best strategy. And I appreciate, like, I appreciate your input. I always love when we disagree on stuff because it makes me think, and that is why we're friends. But to paraphrase the Book of Mormon musical, <laughs> that's kind of what they were going for. I knew you were going to bring up musical theater. Uh, it's been like three episodes. I've been restraining myself. Yeah. Oh, man. But I think that to, to sum it up, Satanic Temple thinks that the best strategy for giving other religions space to operate on equal terms with Christianity under the Establishment Clause is to be confrontational against Christianity in their signature way that mixes the incredibly polite with the blasphemous. I think I I, want to back up just a second to talk about the difference between the Satanic Temple and the Church of Satan. The Church of Satan does claim to be a religious organization, while the Satanic Temple definitively claims to be a religious or non-religious. They hold a lot of the same tenets, but there is some serious tension between the groups. Really? Yeah, the Church of Satan said that the Satanic Temple aren't real Satanists. It gets super complicated. You can't sit with us. Yeah, I know. Do yourself a favor. Watch the documentary Hail Satan. The documentary is so good. It explains all of this stuff. And also, if you watch it, you get to look at Lucy and Graves, who is, yeah, like I said, so real cute. Look, okay. I Googled this guy since you said it earlier in the episode. I've got to pick. He looks like they bleached us and like starved a thwomp from Super Mario. Oh, that is so not fair. It's accurate. Look, that look is at so him. not fair. I'm, I'm okay. getting a new co-host. I cannot even. <laughs> his, he has little hair strands on his forehead, and like his his like badass scar on his face. He looks like if Mads Mikkelsen fell off Humpty Dumpty's wall, and they couldn't put him back together again. Listen, you can make weird analogies all day. I'm not moving on this point. Anyone who listens to our podcast that is a person attracted to men. Comment on our discussion post in the Facebook group and back me up on this. I have a feeling I'm not going to get much backup, but who knows? Who knows? I, I might get proven are right. Are we looking at the same person? Are we? I'll send you. The, I'll send you the link that I'm looking okay. at. Okay. This because it looks like he has. This man looks like he has a special room in his house for his massive collection of fedoras. Okay. Do you see the picture I sent you? Yes. That's one good picture. Um, I'm starting to think maybe Lucian Graves has satanic powers to fool me into thinking that he's hot. I don't look at the ca- maybe that's what it is. Look at the capillaries in his face. 
He's in like a he's in like dungeons doing satanic shit, obviously. He's seriously he has like jaundice. I don't think he has jaundice. He looks like he has jaundice. Why is his skin that color? Because he's a Satanist. Gobby. Okay. <laughs> no, as you mentioned, okay, let's get back into the actual content of this episode. As you mentioned, the Satanic Temple is more about doing political actions than doing rituals. So they they have this jokey tongue-in-cheek kind of feel to them they don't take themselves nearly as seriously as the church of satan does one thing that they got a lot of press for doing was doing a pink mass at the grave of westboro baptist church pastor fred phelps mother's grave so they did like rituals and incantations that they said would change her sexual orientation uh i think this is a good example of what they do because they know that what they did at her gravesite is extremely blasphemous and offensive, that they do not at all take it seriously that they could actually make a dead woman a lesbian. Personally, this one was like this one was a little over the line for me. I would not give a single shit if they did this on Fred Phelps' grave. In fact, I hope they do. Uh, I would hit the floor laughing. I was not a fan of them involving his mother. That kind of feels like shooting a non-combatant to me. But that's just my yeah. opinion. I mean, they're basically just IRL trolls, though. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, pretty much. So is there like core demographic, like edgy 10th graders? That's the vibe. Because I feel like I would have been really into this when I was in 10th They grade. attract a, a lot. I think the Satanic Temple tends to attract more of a spectrum of different types of people because, yeah, you have like the edgy high school kids. You also have politically active atheists who don't really care about the all of the Satan stuff but they agree with the premise that this is the way to combat cultural Christianity. And, and that's where you get like their like their funding and like their super the super normal people that ascribe to the Church of Satan. People who are like very, very much like regular, smart, educated atheists who buy into like i want to be politically active and this is the way that makes sense for me and then and then there's a lot of misfits and different types of people who witches and everybody on the witches versus the patriarchy sub and like all of that kind of people kind of can get can get rolled into this as well except for the people that hate the church of satan or the satanic temple oh because they're church of satan people and they're like yeah so they're or or they're like crowley satanists who are like uh, into the mystical, like the actual mystical side of it and do actual spells and things. So let's move on to another thing that the Satanic Temple did do. What? Okay, what did they do? Another thing that they did was crowdfund a statue of Bahamut to be placed alongside statues of the Ten Commandments on the grounds of the Oklahoma and Arkansas state capitals to make the point that one single religion shouldn't be represented to the exclusion of others on public ground. This one I'm much more of a fan of. I'm down with this. If the Ten Commandments, which give Christians a basic moral code and inspire us, if we're doing it right, to be better, do better, and overcome the worst parts of our nature as humans, if that can be displayed on public ground for everyone to see in on state land, then I am 100% fine with religious symbols that have the same effect on other people being displayed there as well. Where's ba- who's Bahamut? Bahamut? The horned goat. Yeah, um, there are several different oh. pronunciations. That's the one that I'm familiar with. Yeah, the horned goat figure with like pentacles and um, like a staff. And usually usually it's like a man's body, a goat's head and wings. Oh, so like Satan in the South Park. Yes, it, it, it's, it is one very common visual just depiction of Satan. Okay. Uh, cool. And they, they wanted, they were like, okay, well, if you can have the Ten Commandments 
represented, then we can have a statue of Bahamut with the seven satanic tenets, which I'm about to read you. And I, that's fine. That's like, like, yes, if one religion can be represented in public on state grounds, I think any other religion should be able to be represented as well. Yeah, fair point to them. Yeah. I mean, but like if, if you guys couldn't tell, I mean, like that, that last point they made, you know, totally fair point to them. Agree with them, I think. But I honestly, like, I don't take the satanic temple that seriously. But like, so do like a lot of Christians take them seriously, though? I think they do. I think a lot of Christians tend to see them as an attacking army, although the satanic temple does not remotely take themselves that seriously. I really wish I am begging you to watch Hail Satan. I don't know that it would change your opinion very much, but I think it would give you a much better perspective than I can give you in half an episode. I think like I think I get it. I think I get what their deal is. I just think it's like low key kind of cringe. I mean, they can do it if they want to. I want to finish up by talking about a recent activism thing that you mentioned earlier, which is the Satanic Temple's Satanic Abortion Ritual. But I think we need to give the tenets of the Satanic Temple first, because this is vital to understanding the text of the ritual that I'm going to read for you. So the seven tenets of the Satanic Temple are... One should strive to act with compassion and empathy toward all creatures in accordance with reason... The struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions. One's body is inviolable, subject to one's will alone. The freedoms of others should be respected, including the freedom to offend. To willfully and unjustly encroach upon the freedoms of another is to forego one's own. Beliefs should conform to one's best scientific understanding of the world. One should take care to never distort scientific facts to fit one's beliefs. People are fallible. If one makes a mistake, one should do one's best to rectify it and resolve any harm that might have been caused. And every tenant is a guiding principle designed to inspire nobility in action and thought. The spirit of compassion, wisdom, and justice should always prevail over the written or spoken word. See, that all seems pretty reasonable. Yeah, it, I think it's a it's a lot uh, it's, it's a lot better of a code to live by, in my opinion, than the Church of Satan's code. Yeah, um, Church of Satan's code is it's whack. a bit aggressive. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and also plagiarized. No, but like also like wh- what was I saying? I was saying, tell me what you're for. T- tell m- Don't tell me what you're against, you know? Right. And this is like, this is what we support, not what we like. And I like that better. Yeah. So what's the satanic abortion ritual that we were talking about? So what the satanic temple has done is said that preventing access to abortion to any the satanic temple member violates their freedom of religion because this abortion ritual is a practice of their satanic faith. They cite tenets three and five. Uh, one's body is inviolable, subject to one's will alone, and beliefs should conform to one's best scientific understanding of the world to back up this belief that abortion is, uh, access to abortion is a religious right for any member of their organization. I do want to jump in before I read the ritual and say that in no way is this anything to do with getting pregnant on purpose in order to have an abortion for Satan. Like that's, that is 1000% not this. Is that what you were told though? Yes. That they were doing? Yeah. Okay. I talked about that in the first part, I think. Um, right. Yeah. This, this, that is 100% not this. I don't see any subtext that says that that, that is this. But that's what Michelle was saying that they were, if and Michelle remembers, that's what the Satanists were supposedly doing. Is there Yeah, and this is like a common myth. So I wanted to, I wanted to make sure that I got that out there to begin with. 
So now that I've got that out, I'm going to read the ritual from the Satanic Temple's website. They provide one for surgical abortions and one for medication abortions. I'm going to read the one for medication because as we learned in our abortion episode, that is like 90% of all abortions that occur. So here is the ritual as it's written. Immediately before taking the medications to terminate your pregnancy, look at your reflection to be reminded of your personhood and responsibility to yourself. Focus on your intent, take deep breaths, and make yourself comfortable. When ready, read the third tenet aloud to begin the ritual. After swallowing the medications, take another breath and recite the fifth tenet. After you have passed the embryo, return to your reflection and recite the personal affirmation. Feel doubts dissipating and your confidence growing as you have just taken a deci- just undertaken a decision that affirms your autonomy and free will. The religious abortion ritual is now complete. In my opinion, this is one of the better things that the Satanic Temple has done. Because when you read that, I think you see true care. Like, yes, this is trolling, but also I think you see true care for people who need an abortion and are facing one of the toughest decisions of their life. This is written with someone in mind who is facing a lot of shame and guilt from external sources. So along with there, there being a strong element of, of trolling, I think this, this ritual is written with care and compassion for real people. And I do appreciate that. But like, did anyone get got by this obvious troll, though? I'm sure some people did. But by the time this came out, I was pretty far removed from Fundy World. So I'm I've unfollowed more of the people that are still Fundy and followed people who aren't still Fundy. So I saw more positive buzz just because of selection bias. I'm less aware of what really gets the Fundies these days. I think most people are familiar with the Satanic Temple from the earlier actions that I mentioned that got a lot of press. So I think the people who would have gotten got by this were mostly unsurprised. So I get that there is a big element of trolling to this, but I also can't help but think that there's some value. I stated my personal beliefs on abortion in our episode, but to catch anybody up who hasn't listened to it, I said it shouldn't be used as the primary form of birth control because I think that's irresponsible. But I don't believe that abortion is immoral if it's a need, and I do believe that almost all abortions are truly a need. I'm thinking of someone in this situation where they need an abortion, and I'm wondering what does that person need to hear? Do they need to hear that they're killing a baby or they're a murderer, or do they need to hear your body is inviolable and let the best science you know guide your decision, and you have just undertaken a decision that affirms your autonomy and your free will? What if this ritual saved someone's life? Like, what if there's somebody who would have felt so awful about a needed abortion that they couldn't handle it and that they suffered severe mental health consequences or even harmed themselves because of this? I think that this is what this is what somebody who is having this, this is what someone in that situation needs to hear a lot more than they need to hear judgment. I mean, I personally think that shame is like very rarely is shame a good like motivator to get somebody to do something you know like people people love to use that as a motivator or like use that as like a rhetorical tool because it's great for rallying your base and it makes you feel great when you do it to somebody else but it's not like it's not going to have the effect that you want it to yeah and i think that that guilt and shame have become so wrapped up with the concept of christianity that when any form of satanism comes along and preaches living without shame and living without guilt for the most part, that it really shakes up the Christians. Uh, when wow. I don't think that should necessarily be so foundational to our beliefs as it is. Do you think that's what shakes it up? Or do you think it's if they're just like, I think we that's believe a, in Satan? No, I think that's a big part of it because you haven't sat in Christian church the, the way that a lot of us have. 
That's true. Shame and That's guilt true. and feeling bad about yourself are absolutely baked into the way that the, that American Christianity runs, like evangelicalism runs. And a big thing that you will hear them say is, oh, did you see what she was wearing walking down the street? She has no shame. She should be ashamed. You know, just different upbringings. That wasn't something that I heard growing up. Yeah. So we've got one last thing I think that I want to do before we really wrap this up. And that is play a little game. And this is a game I'm going to call Grifter or True Believer. So we're going to go through all of like the figures that we've talked about today or, you know, last week as well, like and decide whether or not these people are grifters or whether or not these people actually believe all of the stuff that they're saying. That sounds excellent. I think I should probably note that just like the opinions I gave on the Patreon cut, (laughs) these opinions are (laughs) my own. They're just my personal takes. Um, I am am in no way trying to say that I'm the arbiter of truth in this situation. I'm just going to do gut feelings based on what we've covered in this episode. Let's start out with... uh, Satanic Panic OGs, uh, Michelle Smith and Lawrence Padzer. Okay. I'm going to go with Grifter for the couple. I think there's a strong possibility that Michelle really believed the story that Padzer said that she told him while she was under hypnosis. But he broke so many rules and best practices of therapy, and he should have known better. He totally led her into saying the things that she said based on what he heard in West Africa. So maybe she did believe her own story as told by him. Maybe she didn't. But he is such a grifter that she's along for the ride, whether willingly or not. So I'm going to say grifter for both of them. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that he's just like a really good gaslighter, you know, and he, maybe she doesn't remember saying all the things that she said in therapy or whatever, because she was under hypnosis. And then he'll be like, no, when you were under hypnosis, you said this thing. And she'll be like, oh, well, I mean, it must be true. But like, considering he married his therapy client, um, like that fact alone just makes me think that he does not have great respect for medical ethics anyway, or any sort of ethics anyway. So being a grifter for him is 100% on brand. Yeah, I agree. So who should we talk about next? Tipper Gore and the PMRC. Okay. What do we got? I think this one is a mix. Like, I think that there is definitely an element of true believer. I think there is also an element of, I don't know if grifter is the right word, but this is what's politically expedient. Well, so here's, I was thinking about something. How is putting an advisory sticker on a record different from putting a content warning at the beginning of a podcast episode? That's, I mean, that's, that's a good point. I think the, the stickers that they put on the albums aren't the problem that I have with this. I think the PMRC came off like they were trying to prevent unapprovable music from being made. Oh, okay. If you read more into the the history of what they did, I I don't really have much of an issue with them putting an advisory sticker on things um, other than when they put it right on the jacket instead of on like a dust cover because then it messes up the the value that your records retain. Thank you, Jonathan. Um, But... It, I, they were trying to actually prevent such music from being made, which which is censor, censorship, which I don't agree with. I mean, but honestly, if it were me and I bought my, I don't know how old, how old her kid was, but like seven or something. If I bought my kid like an album because I heard Let's Go Crazy on the radio and Darling Nikki came on, I'd be upset. 
I think that's that's fair. I think hearing that must have shocked her and that was a very normal reaction for a parent. I'd probably be upset too if my kid were singing that. But the the issue that I have is that she jumped headlong into trying to censor and ban music and didn't stop to think like, is that the best course of action to try to prevent people from making music that I don't like? So this is where you've like, for me, actually like do the legwork though. Because these are like record albums that we're talking about. So with a record album, like a vinyl record album, you buy it. There's a sheet that comes with it that has all the lyrics to all the songs on it. So, I mean, like you've got to look at the song lyrics. If you're a parent, you know, you look like you figure out what, okay, what music are my kids listening to? You look at the lyrics. You're like, is this something they should be listening to or not? And it's just like, you know, if you want to watch a movie before your kids see it to decide whether it's appropriate for them, that's fine. You know, you've just got to look at the song lyrics. They're printed on a sheet that comes with the record. You know, you can you can do that. You don't need to, like, go whole hog into this. It's just you have to put in the legwork. Yeah, you can just you can just look at that. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. And that can tell you whether or not you think it's appropriate. And, you know, you're the one who's going to judge whether or not it's appropriate for your kids to be listening to music. That's fine. Okay, let's move on to Oprah. Okay. Because this this is the this is the one here. I don't know. Is it a bad idea if we say anything bad about Oprah? Or will people be mad? I don't. I don't think so. Mm. I don't think so. But I'll tell you what I think about her being grifter versus true believer. Sure. I think it's hard to determine her motives based on one incident of her platforming satanic panic conspiracy theorists. It is definitely a point against her that she didn't come out and make any kind of retraction after these people were debunked. However, it's a point in her favor that she did become more careful in fact-checking as time went on. So... I don't think we can tell her motives based on that because there are points for her and points against her. So I'm just going to end up being 50-50 on this one. (laughs) Uh, Let's move on to Geraldo. We got Geraldo Rivera. What's going on with him? I'm going to say grifter. And my reason why is that he just made up statistics and continued to milk the satanic panic for ratings long after the claims were disproved. Was he the one that made them up or did he just read them off a teleprompter? I don't think it matters. If you're going to say something on national television, you should either fact check it or have someone fact check it for you. I mean, that is pretty egregious, but it might have been like a Ron Burgundy situation. Well, that's still on him because he should have trusted the person who was doing his fact checking. Yeah, and honestly, like, like the, the the things that he came up with, the things that he was saying that like there's a million Satanists in this country operating like under, you know, behind the scenes and shit, that's pretty there's egregious. There's a million, a, yeah. like surely any reasonable person would read that off a teleprompter and be like, who wrote this? Like we work really hard to fact check what we say on this show. We do not always get it right, but we really do put in the best effort that we can. Sadie really tries to, you know, issue retractions when she gets something wrong. I really try. I, I, I cannot be perfect all the time. I cannot get everything right, but I really, I absolutely give it everything I can. To see somebody with the kind of research resources that Geraldo had just go there are a million Satanists. That makes me mad because I do everything I can with my very limited time and resources. And he has so much more resources than me and can just make something up. That that yeah. it, it's kind of personally gets to me, I think. So I think that everything that you said there is 100% right. I want to move on to Jack Chick. Jack Chick is a guy that we've got an episode coming out about pretty soon. And that's going to be pretty exciting. We have one in the past, uh, but then this... That was about his chick tracks. This one is about like the comic books that he would write. He was like the 
the the satanic panic's own Stan Lee. Yeah, that's a that's a great way of describing him. <laughs> I'm gonna lean towards Grifter on this one. He definitely did put out a lot of material for someone who didn't believe it. I don't know. I'm not necessarily ready to say he didn't believe what he was writing, but I do think he capitalized on and made a career on and fanned the flames of evangelical panic and fear. See, I don't know. I think that he actually believed it because I think that people who throw that many anti-Semitic dog whistles into their content tend to be the types that 100% believe that and believe like stuff that's way crazier than that, but they feel like they'll be ostracized if they come out and say it straight up. So they'll like sneak it in and that's what he's been doing. So I'm going to, for me, it's true believer. Okay. Well, we'll get, let's get into that more when we talk about his comics, because I have to say that's a good point. There's one of them in there that like you showed it to me and I was like, what the? Yeah, we save it for the episode. I also know there's a biography of him floating around. So maybe we can get our hands on a copy of that and that'll give us more information. Yeah. Okay. Aleister Crowley. Truly on drugs. Yeah, truly on drugs. Um I think he probably did think that a spirit was speaking through him, and I think he probably did really buy into at least a, at least some of, or maybe a lot of, the mysticism and occult stuff. But I think it was probably just the drugs talking. Yeah, to me, Aleister Crowley, is, he, like he seems like the type of person like I know who got way into psychedelics in college, you know, and then yeah. they like made that their whole personality, and they're like, I live in Vermont now. <laughs> No, they're they're an ayahuasca shaman now. Is who that those people all are? Okay, yeah. but that, okay. So that person, maybe they didn't say that spirits were speaking through them and telling them to start a new satanic religion, but they probably did have some serious spiritual revelations, man, about the life and like the universe, and they probably did have some like real serious religious esque or spiritual ideas. So imagine if you if that person got a huge inheritance. So instead of focusing on college, even the tiniest bit, they decided to travel the world and do drugs with a lot of famous and influential occult and spiritual people. And then they took I mean, on... That's what these people usually do. Okay, yeah. And then they take on a personal magic mentor and write a metric ton of poetry. I think that this stereotype of person who gets way into psychedelics in college could easily become the person that Crowley was if they had the wealth and opportunities that he did. And yeah, they'd probably really believe it too. I'm with you there. Who's next? Anton LeVay. Anton LaVey? Yeah. Okay, LaVey. I am going to say both Grifter and True Believer on this one, actually. So True Believer, because his actions in life do pretty much adhere to the tenets that he wrote about in the Satanic Bible, but also Grifter because he pretty blatantly wrote the Satanic Bible to capitalize on the public interest in Satanism. It's not even a secret. Like, that's just why he wrote it, was to make money off of it. He also... Didn't even bother to write the whole thing himself. He just borrowed a lot from writings that were already being passed around among people interested in Satanism and Ayn Rand and spent a lot of his later years just doing the press circuit. He also leaves a lot worse taste in my mouth because I found out that he was not just a plagiarist. He also married a 15-year-old when he was 20. So, ew. Yikes. Yeah. So how about we do uh, your future husband? (laughs) Actually, you're already married. He can't be your future husband. Uh, your future side piece, Lucy and Graves, Greaves. Is I think it Graves it's Graves. I think in the documentary they said it Graves. That, is that his real like given? No, name? his his real name is Douglas something or other. He goes by a, a fake name to like oh deflect all the haters. That's because like, people threatened his family, so it's oh, fair. Fair. No, I um, um, you can just Google it. You can find out who he is. Lucy and Graves. 
true believer, but not in Satanism. I think he's a true believer in his politics and his political views. I think he's a true believer that his methods of trying to enact political change are the correct methods and the correct way to go. I think he truly believes that he's doing good in the world. I think that grifter would be the wrong word for him because for his cause, like getting attention is like the whole point. And right. he's pretty straightforward. Like he, he's pretty straightforward about that. Yeah, there's there's not a lot of subterfuge. No, he's just think. like we're just trying to make this like uh, we're trying to get attention for this issue. That calling him a grifter just wouldn't even apply. I think edge lord is a better term. I do. Uh, as far as as far as grifter, the Church of Satan charges money to be a member, and the Satanic Temple accepts donations, but they don't proselytize. They don't ask for money. I don't think he's getting rich off of this. If you don't like his goals, if you don't like his methods, I think that's totally fine. I agree though that it's not grifting that he's after so do you have any final thoughts on satan and satanism and the satanic panic of course i do i don't want to be the person who comes out and says that religious people particularly christians are obligated to like or respect or fully accept modern satanism i can give you my opinion on bands and popular culture that adopt the imagery and the language of satanism my opinion is I don't believe in a God so small or so petty that God could be diminished by some guy putting on black and white face paint and singing songs about the devil. I also don't believe in a God so petty that they would concern themselves with smiting people for poking fun at them when there are so many things that happen in the world that were that are truly much more of an affront to God's love or God's holiness. I'm not here to tell people that they have to think it's totally okay for people to be blasphemous or for singers or bands to incorporate satanic satanic imagery into their music. Just because I think that's all right, I don't think that you have to think it's all right too. I think this one is, is really complicated and I just, I don't think I'm ever entitled to tell somebody what they should think or believe. What I do feel like I have the authority to say based on my research, is that the satanic panic was demonstrably unfounded. Religious listeners do not have to worry about a vast satanic cabal cult that is sacrificing hundreds or thousands of children to the devil every year. I get that there are people out there doing horrible things in the name of Satanism, people being complete assholes in the name of Satanism, people being abusive in the name of Satanism, but there are people out there doing all of those things in the name of Christianity too. So I would like our listeners to consider the tenets that I read for you and consider it from the perspective of understanding not every Satanist is going to live by the tenets of their moral code, just like not every Christian lives by our moral code. But if someone did live by the tenets I read you, what kind of person would they be? Yeah, is that something that would be as scary as you think Satanism is? That's very well put. For me, it's just wild that clearly there's some grifters out there who just like made some shit up and now it's a whole fucking thing and people went nuts about it. Like that that's that just seems wild to me. This whole thing is like it's I'm glad we did a two-parter. It's extremely complicated. There are a lot of factors that we didn't even touch. There's there's a lot to this, and it's a it's an interesting mixture of grifters and true believers and people who were duped and people who readily allowed themselves to be duped, and there's so much. That's it for this episode. Uh, next week, we have a true crime episode coming out. T-R-U-E-C-R-I-M-E. True crime. You sound really excited given what the context of the content of that episode is. Oh, yeah. No, that, con- that episode's f***ed up. But 
I, I like doing true crime episodes. It's fun. Yeah. We, and that's coming out. Uh, if you like our show, you can join our Facebook group. That is going to be facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. You can join our subreddit, which is also called Eden Exodus. You can go and join our Patreon, where if you liked this episode and you wish that there were a longer version of this episode, you can go to our Patreon, and that is patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast. And if you join then you will get access to that and the longer extended editions of every other episode that we've done. Um, Sadie, do you want to plug your social media? Yep. You can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music, on Twitter at Hell, Hell Yeah Sadie, or on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. And you can follow uh, the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Leaving Eden Podcast, Twitter at Leaving Eden Pod. Uh, you can email us at leavingedenpod at gmail.com and you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Clubhouse at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N and until next time hope that you guys have a great day. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.